is uh, This is Joe Cole. This is Ruben Loftus Cheek, and you're listening to the London, the London is Blue podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode of the Common Crew. That is right, not your typical show, but you knew that by the title. I'm here with Phil, aka at Chelsea Youth, Mr. Official, keeps getting tagged. By players, by opposing clubs. I mean, you're just a big deal, Phil. Been a busy month for me, apparently. <laughs> the mentions are on fire. <laughs> they can be, yeah. And obviously, we're now back from the World Cup. We're back with club football on the agenda. Uh, the academy is on the, the winter Christmas break, as, as usual. But there's definitely no shortage of things to discuss. And uh, possibly some of the most important things, uh, uh, important developments in recent academy history. I know. I am excited about that. How was the World Cup for you? Just real quick, um, fruitful, exciting, or did you kind of just let time pass and enjoy the break? No, I, I watched as much of it as I can. I'm, I'm a big, big follower of international football. I, I'm on record as thinking that it's probably the peak of of, of the sport and I, I respect that people don't necessarily agree with that but the world cups are the very best of international football it was a fascinating tournament um but at the same time we've got a lot to look forward to and to be excited about with chelsea um moving in a very different direction to anything we've known for maybe two decades so it'll be it'll be good to get stuck right back into the club side of things as we go into the new year yeah absolutely well let's kick it off with uh i mean huge news the new academy leadership structure uh as you kind of alluded to there um the pieces have started to finally come out in the news uh there was you know not only does the academy have new leadership, sounds like there's new scouting leadership and kind of club structure that's really starting to to take place, which is funny because we feel like we've been hearing about these names for like two months, but then you realize World Cup and other things. But uh, here we are, academy getting a bit of a shuffle as well. Yeah, they are. And it started probably just before the World Cup with the story that Neil Bath was going to become the director of football development and operations and have more of a a visible and tangible role in big picture at Chelsea, particularly with the integration of young talent into the first team side. And the question that wasn't answered at the time, because as you alluded to, there's a lot of puzzle pieces being put into place, lots of negotiations in bringing in Christophe Vivell, Joe Shields, Lawrence Stewart, Paul Winstanley, and how that all shakes out is if Neil is vacating responsibilities in the academy how are those fulfilled and we found out this week um, give a tip of the hat to path and the team at the chelsea spot for having the exclusive on jim fraser taking on the head of youth development and recruitment title formally uh, and then uh, our friend of the podcast nazar kinsella elaborating going further that jack francis would become the academy manager for the under 9 to 16 so all of those pieces moving around demonstrate the biggest fundamental change we've had at the top of the academy hierarchy since the start of the Abramovich era, when Neil became academy manager and would later become head of youth development when the EPPP regulations came in and you had to have certain people with certain job titles and so on and so forth. But it's big and yet it's not at the same time because so Jim Fraser probably had more responsibility than your average assistant head of youth recruitment across uh, head of youth development across the country he was and remains the head of youth recruitment in the academy it was more of a partnership than a head and assistant for a long time now so it's fascinating to see how the dynamic changes if at all but also really really exciting that we have 
two of the most valuable operators and skilled operators at the club getting more and more influence under a new ownership regime. Uh, and really exciting to see Jack Francis get the recognition of some fantastic work in his time in the academy to now become the academy manager for the under 19 under 16s, which let's not forget is the majority of an academy. Once you get to under 17, under 18, they sign professional contracts, they move into the professional development stage and oftentimes into the first team or the loan department, as it were. Um, but there, there's a lot of unknowns, but it's, it's a really, really exciting time, I think. Well, and that's good because obviously Gabriel and Kate, both in our Discord, were asking, what are your thoughts on the new leadership structure of the academy? Um, and then Kate doubling down saying what's the biggest challenge in navigating the leadership change. But I think this is only a part of, right? So like, okay, the academy operates. We know that Bowley doesn't want siloed departments. He doesn't want an academy department. He doesn't want a men's department and a women's department. He wants things to flow, um, you know, kind of freely amongst these different uh, silos, if you will, for like an ugly corporate structure analogy. So you've, as you mentioned earlier, Christophe Avell, Joe Shields, Lawrence Stewart, Paul and Stanley call coming in. Uh, a, I wouldn't say above them, right? Because like we now know that Neil Bath has seat at the big table he is at the top there so how do you feel like this might kind of shake out between the two knowing who's in place at the academy knowing who's coming in from a scouting and management side of it um how do you think that that's all going to work together i think there'll i wouldn't say teething problems for want of a better word but i think there'll be a, a period of transition for everybody involved in working out who's responsible for what and how you interact and it is going to be very very collaborative that's what we hear coming out of Chelsea that this is going to be a committee is going to be a democratic process uh, in terms of how it affects the academy I don't think it's going to affect the day-to-day -day very much if at all if it does it's going to be positive the way I see Neil's new role is if anyone's familiar with the layout at Cobham you have the academy on one side of a road and you have first team on the other Many times over the years, we've spoken and we've heard players talked about crossing the road into the first team building. I've done it. And I've I've physically done it. You have. <laughs> it, it wasn't as um, ceremonious for me, though. <laughs> I'm sure. It, I'm sure it was in your head. Um, but no, it's it's an important step for those players to take. And something that I've spoken about over the years is that there is there has generally been a lack of a, an academy advocate in the first team setup, be it on the the on board level the coaching staff and what this new role the director of football development and operations seems to me is it sits on that road between the two and it offers strategized guidance for these players to move steadily from the academy phase into the professional phase whether you go on loan first, whether you do what Lewis Hall has done right now and go straight into the first team squad, whether that is a short term or a long term thing. You have somebody who sits alone at the top of English football in his contribution to English youth development over three decades. Now overseeing that operation, you have Jim Fraser having been at the club for near well beyond 15 years, near 20 working in very, very close partnership with Neil. Those conversations are being had all the time now. It's not like there's a, a, a communication breakdown between the the transfer team, the, the, the technical director, the sporting director and the academy. We know that there's been 
a gap ever since Michael Aminalo left in terms of how everything joins together. And that manifests itself in several ways, and it was only, truthfully, the Frank Lampard reign that allowed the door to be burst open properly. We've seen and spoken numerous times about the talent that was allowed to go to waste. The talent was allowed to leave Chelsea and went on to flourish elsewhere. And we've also spoken many a time about the value that you can gain over your rivals by being able to develop your own homegrown talent at zero transfer outlay costs and much, much more reduced overall costs with academy investment in a time where you're going to struggle to have a significant market advantage to go out and sign players. So entrusting new responsibilities to people who have earned the trust with two decades plus work it's it's sensible but it's also it's it speaks volumes to the way that the, the the new ownership group want to run this club they've they've come in they've done an audit of all the departments they've made changes here there and everywhere but for the academy they've said look we we clearly find immense value and respect in what you do we would like to recognize that and give you more influence throughout the entire club and i i can't think of anything more exciting personally speaking as an academy devotee to see how that's going to unfold. When will Neil get his name on the building? I mean, at some point, it should just be the Neil Bath Academy for the gifted footballers. Well, if he has his way, it'll be never because it <laughs> exactly. is, it's, it's, it's an army of hundreds that go that support this, uh, the entire operation. It's the coaches, it's the staff, it's the doctors, it's the medical team, it's the recruitment team, it's the wider network of recruitment team, it's everybody in the office, it's the families and friends of people who help. It takes a village to raise a person. And that's, it's always true in every academy across the country. And that kind of segues nicely into a little bit of a talk about Jack Francis, who's now the academy manager. He is a former academy player from way back. Uh, we've seen over the years the likes of Joe Edwards go from academy player to academy coach all the way through, now assistant manager with Lampard at Everton. Jack, similar story, started out in the academy at a younger age, various roles, but more, more recently was the head of player care, which is a hugely important role in academy football, one that has been neglected by a lot of clubs for far too long until recently. Chelsea have always been ahead of the game with their player care, their aftercare, and their, their general uh, attention to detail. Jack has been an excellent head of player care. He was also the lead for the under-15, under-16 programme, uh, and now takes the responsibility for overseeing the entire operation for the under 9s to under 16s. And yes, it still remains collaborative with the, the same branches and the same network of staff at Cobham and beyond. Uh, it's, it's exciting recognition for a career that keeps trending upwards and working very closely with Neil and Jim in recent years. It's that sort of future-proofing, your succession planning, a good organisation always knows what the succession plan will be. We can't always say that we felt comfortable or confident that the first team side know that. I think we can we can certainly see now that the academy have always had this in mind. Where do we go 
two years from now? Where do we go five years from now? What do we look like 10 years from now? They're talking about Vision 2030, this new project that they're embarking on for the best part of the next decade. And this is a huge leap forward in that regard. Uh, and certainly don't underestimate that these are the first steps in maybe a series of changes that come in years to come. They'll already identify potential people for senior management roles within the academy that are there now that are being groomed and educated and brought along in the right way. So when the time comes, they'll be ready in the same way that Jack is now. Yeah, no, I like that. And, and you kind of piqued my interest there with the Neil Bad thing too. Roughly, how many how many athletes are in the Youth Academy at Chelsea? It's between 200, 250. Okay. Um, depends on time of year, depends on a few things, but average of 20 players per age group for 10 to 11 age groups. So it is in that regard, in that ballpark rather. Um, some clubs will operate on a smaller level. Chelsea tend to be on the higher side of that. And so if you want to have essentially it's not it's not a primary school it's not a secondary school it's not a junior school it's not an elementary school it's it's an entire community and the undertaking the number of the the logistics involved in running uh, something of that scale uh, are at times mind-blowing and Chelsea certainly sit at the upper end of that with the ability to invest in it but it is paid off uh, some people would have seen that a couple of weeks ago I put up a a photo from maybe 2008, 2009 time of the entire academy from under eights through to under 21s. And you can look around that photo and you get 20 plus players who've gone on to be senior internationals, 20 plus players who've gone on to be the first team. A very, very young Reese James and Connor Gallagher sat in the front row as the youngest players in the photograph. First team is now Mason Mount, Declan Rice in the back row as the age group above. But it's not just about that. The, the people in there, you've had players go on to be professionals in other sports, rugby rugby union, athletics. You've had people who go on to be successes in other fields. And when we're talking about a holistic approach within the academy, that's how it manifests. It's, okay, for those of you who don't necessarily go on to enjoy a career in high-level football, there are other avenues. There are avenues within the academy. There are avenues within the club. We will support you in your in, in finding yourself elsewhere. And so many players who've come through the academy and so many people who've worked closely with the academy speak so highly of it. And that all comes right back to the culture that Neil and Jim have created. Yeah. And then, then my last... Um, kind of question along those lines is is the women's team are they kind of managing their own youth teams under their you know side of house or are they starting to mix both boys and girls from an academy perspective for the vast vast majority of the time to my understanding which is limited uh it's it's very separate it's a very different world um girls development football it's not nearly as structured or um, as as the boys' side, and it is still relatively in its infancy. Um, a guy called Dean Steninger runs the operation at Chelsea and does so very well, and they've certainly been able to produce some quality players through the um, through the system. It's not a, it's not an academy; it's the regional training centres. Um, Alessia Russo, for example, came through at Chelsea, um, England star striker these days, um, with Ellen White's retirement. Um, 
Emma Hayes has been on record as saying one of the biggest problems they have is that whereas in the men's game you can sign a professional contract to 17, in the girls' side you can't do it until you're 18. And WSL is both smaller and there are fewer games and the number of teams who have the ability to spend uh, globally is far more concentrated than it is in the men's game. So Chelsea can go out and sign... Uh, 10 years ago Frank Kirby for 50k they can go out and sign Sam Kerr for big money in the women's game but ultimately not very big money at all so the route through from the girls youth set up into the seniors is less obvious and less rewarding for clubs who are in win now mode so you end up with Aggie Beaver Jones Georgia Fox and everyone going off on loan which is great but it's it's a completely different dynamic. It would be fantastic to see the game grow to a point where it needs to become the same sort of operation as is on the men's side. And um, uh, I think eventually we will reach that level. I have no insight as to how long that would take. Um, but I'm, I'm certain that as women's football grows and as girls' youth development football in the UK grows, there are enough people within the setup at Chelsea who can lend advice, lend their experience on how best to build it into the same world-class venture that we've seen Cobham on the men's side become for the, for the last two decades. All right. Well, we're going to take our first ad break. When we get back, let's go ahead and figure out what's going on on the pitch. Thank you, sponsors, for supporting the show. And we'll be right back. If you're bored of the U.S. Netflix, why not just take it for a spin in the U.K.? Using NordVPN and a click of a button, you can do just that. No need to travel to Japan for your favorite anime when NordVPN brings it right to you. With over 5,000 plus server options, no show is out of your reach. Using my link, nordvpn.com forward slash London is blue, you can receive a huge discount on a two-year plan plus one free month. We all love to binge, but look, privacy is a big deal too. NordVPN keeps your information encrypted so you never have to worry about your IP or location getting out. They've also doubled down on keeping you safe with their new threat protection feature. Say goodbye to intrusive website ads and malware. Even if you download an infected file, threat protection kicks in and deletes it before it makes a mess of your computer. Don't forget, there's literally no risk when you use our 30-day money-back guarantee. Give it a try, and if you like it, great. If you don't, they'll issue you a refund. You can pretend the entire situation never happened. Check out my link again. That's nordvpn.com forward slash London is blue to get your subscription started today. All right. So on the pitch, games have been played. We kind of talked about this. Uh, the dev squad, they uh, joined the, the party a little bit later than the, than the younger players. Obviously, less internationals at the younger ages. But dev squad, EFL trophy, what happened well they they reached the last 16 of the competition which was uh quite outstanding uh, generally speaking and one of their best runs in the in the papa john's trophy as the sponsors will prefer it to be called for some years they started out at the end of august lost the group opener to sutton but then they won at oxford they won at leighton orient and then they went into the second round the first knockout stage and won comprehensively at Peterborough that set up this game against Cheltenham which was on the 13th of December which for those paying attention was just over 48 hours after the men's first team friendly against Aston Villa in Abu Dhabi which featured a significant number of the development squad players that meant the team that played against Cheltenham was a much 
younger team, missing Amari Hutchinson, missing Dion Rankin, missing Malik Mothersill. Sorry, Mothersill did play at Chelsea. It missed half a dozen key players from throughout the season. And Mothersill played, Cassidy played, Brooking played, Gilchrist played, Eddie Beach played, and they landed back in the UK the day before. They landed back in the UK having gone from high 20 degree weather in Abu Dhabi to freezing temperatures in London, pretty much straight on a coach across the width of the UK to even colder weather in Gloucestershire, not knowing if the match was going to be on until a couple of hours before the game. We don't want to throw excuses in because these are the challenges that are set when you make these decisions. It was 1-0 for the majority of the match. Cheltenham did keep Chelsea at sort of an arm's length and then they scored on 87, 90 and 94 to give the scoreline a gloss that he didn't deserve. It finished 4-0. Two of the goals were scored by former academy striker Charlie Brown. And it's, it's certainly a learning experience, a learning curve. They started with two 17-year-old strikers, Donnell McNeely and Louis Flower, who both had good seasons for the under-18s. Donnell went off injured after a quarter of an hour, so 16-year-old Michael Golden came on. 16-year-old Harrison McMahon got half an hour in the second half. We had Keanu Dyer on the substitutes bench. He's only just turned 16 and isn't a scholar until next summer. So in in some ways, you'd have liked to see how the full-strength team would have gotten on and how much further they could take it because it would have been a couple of games from a potential Wembley final. But I think realistically, the club knows that they're not going to reach the final. They will be knocked out at some point and there was maybe more inherent value in having them train under Potter and his staff and with the first team leftovers uh, the ones who didn't go to the World Cup for that period before Abu Dhabi, out in Abu Dhabi, and then to play against a fairly strong Aston Villa team where several of them really did themselves justice and impressed. Uh, and we can get into that. But any team that's missing Hutchinson and Lewis Hall and Charlie Webster, Dion Rankin, it's, it's significantly weakened. And that explains their exit. Fair. I, definitely, definitely fair. Um, you kind of talked about the the large number that went to Abu Dhabi with the team. You know, I think it, we talked about this just on between Nick Dan and I is, is another opportunity, right, for these players to show Graham Potter and his staff what they can do. Uh, they're going to get, you know, semi-serious minutes. Uh, you know, we talked about that was close to Aston Villa's starting lineup in the Premier League versus Chelsea, who we are shadow of ourselves, which is a good thing. Um, how did that go for those players? Did you feel like you got any intel back that um, maybe people that weren't in the squad have caught an eye, have, have firmly caught the eye? Uh, I know Charlie Webster uh, was a was a hot topic from Yaz uh, on the Tinkerman pod. We can get to that second of all, but just maybe overall how, how it went for the younger players that traveled with the skeleton crew of a first team that we had. I think it's, it's largely positive. I mean, this, as we've spoken about before the World Cup and then during the World Cup, is a unique set of circumstances that these players don't get a five-week audition with not just a, a first-team coaching staff, but a new first-team coaching staff who will not necessarily be familiar with them. Potter and his, his team arrived in September with a full intray and with the best will in the world, the first two months aren't going to be devoted to watching as many development squad matches as possible and figuring out how you can best integrate them. So this downtime is 
is unlike any preseason after a summer international tournament because everyone's been on holiday. It takes a little bit of time to get back into the groove. You might not get much playing time. This these were players in season in form. They finished before the World Cup on a ten match unbeaten run. The development squad, and they've come in here, no doubt buoyed by Lewis Hall's involvement. Gone straight from this team into two man of the match performances against Manchester City and Newcastle, and feeling the optimism that they can they can stake a claim. And I think several of them definitely did that against Aston Villa, and it's going to be a test of. The, the club's new mindset and and the way that Potter has spoken about being meritocratic and deserving to play as to how things unfold going forward because we've seen what Hall has been able to do as a left wing back and then against the strong Aston Villa midfield he got a go in midfield his preferred position looked as if he belonged he was there with Charlie Webster who got 90 minutes and looked as if he belonged and then you had Bright showing us from Rankin and a nice cameo from Mothersill. And you had Alfie Gilchrist pressed into emergency action at centre-half with Chalabar pulling out before kickoff. Uh, the no senior defender in that back row. It was Brooking, Gilchrist and Humphreys. And they, they've played regularly together for the development squad. And I think that's the next step that we need to see them take. We know that individually and collectively the development squad are talented and able to contribute. And then when you put Hall into the first team with the top, top players around him, he belongs. Yeah, he does like a Maradona on a 2v1 and just spins out from between two players. Exactly. A lot, a lot of the time you'll see teams rotated for League Cup matches or FA Cup matches and you, you throw a bunch of kids in there without the requisite support from the senior pros around them. And that, that can be as a whole team or it can be as a unit. If you, t- if you, you we saw Liverpool do this a few years ago. Mm-hmm. They would replace Salah, Mane and Firmino with an entirely different front three. This is when Dominic Solanke was at the club. And he gets criticism for scoring one goal in however many hundreds of minutes without looking at the context of who he's playing with and what, how those minutes are coming. And I'm, I'm not... Obviously, Liverpool have been tremendously successful in that period so you can't say they got it wrong with Solanke but it doesn't necessarily give you a full representation of the player so we've seen essentially the development squad with a few others thrown in against Aston Villa do well and what you certainly like to see as we return to club football and go into 2023 is more of those get opportunities to play with Mateo Kovacic with Jorginho with however many senior players, members of the first team squad. You see Amari Hutchinson with highlight after highlight against Aston Villa. Potter spoke very positively about him afterwards. And certainly he would seem to be the next cab off the rank if somebody's going to get uh, a debut, an opportunity to impress. Before the World Cup, you might have said he fits perfectly into the Hakim Ziyech size hole that we're expecting in January. The World Cup that Ziyech has had means all bets are off. Now he's back, and that's 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 to Chelsea's benefit if you can harness that player and, and put him into a blue shirt, and that's the challenge that awaits Potter. But that this this last month has been quite interesting for the players. I think they've, they've been received positively, and they've received it positively, and most of them have channeled it in the right way to to realise that this time is not something they'll never necessarily get again, and to make the most of it. Yeah. No, that's great. I I love to hear it. Um, yeah, Lewis Hall, he reminded everybody that uh he definitely um 
should not be going back and forth across that street. He he's he's ready, which is which is great as we have depth issues um, on that side. Uh, the other one I wanted to continue to chat uh, about was um, the U18s. Obviously, the young guns, uh, such a fun group. On I mean, sometimes you don't even know what you're going to get out of them, which you know some people find fr- frustrating. I find like, you know, exciting with this group as they are are learning and developing probably more than any other age group, uh, if we're being honest. Um, how are how are they doing? They haven't had a lot of action since we last spoke. They they had one match at the start of December, which was straight off the back of two fairly humbling defeats at Cobham against Fulham and West Ham. Uh, the Fulham game was a seven one defeat. And the West Ham was a 4-2 defeat, having led 2-0. We won't dwell on either of those. The Aston Villa game came in the same week as those matches. So it was an immediate opportunity to get back to winning ways. And and they did. And they did so coming from behind. They It was a fairly even game in the first half. And they went 1-0 down right on the break. So you come out and what are we going to expect here? Are we going to wilt under the expectation or are we going to fight back? And they fought back. They equalised with a heavily deflected Michael Golding effort. And then it was relatively even all the way up to the end and they finished strong. Tyreek George scored with five minutes to go and then Louis Flower got one on the break to to, to secure a 3-1 win, which leaves them very well placed in general in the table. They are fifth of 12, but within two points of second, uh, nobody's going to catch West Ham because West Ham, sorry, I think I've got the numbers wrong there, but West Ham are unbeaten, 10 wins from 10, clear of everybody else. And unless something dramatic happens in the second half of the season, they're not going to be caught. But Chelsea are generally looking good. They were meant to have a Youth Cup tie against Bradford, middle of the month. That fell foul of the, the same cold weather frozen pitch as we were talking about with the Cheltenham game so that'll be rescheduled most likely for early new year the winner of that tie goes to Cambridge United in round four we won't get too far ahead of ourselves because we've got Bradford to beat first Cambridge will be a really interesting tie if we go there Um, not least because in previous years Chelsea have signed Marcel Lewis Dion Rankin Louis Flower and Jack Austin from there they have a fairly positive relationship with them um, they've been up for an under-15 friendly at the first team ground a few times in the last decade as well. So they, they recognise the talent that is in the Cambridge Academy and in the Cambridge area. They've dabbled in getting three or four of them over the years. Uh, but Bradford won't be an easy tie when it's eventually played. The delay means that they may get one or two players back who weren't necessarily fit for this. So Zane Silcott Dubry, I think, was likely to start against Bradford having missed almost all of the season so far this will give him a couple of extra weeks to to recover Ronnie Stutter is now back in some form of training after having an operation on a broken foot and having not played this season he'll be a real asset when he's fit again Um, you'd be looking at sort of February March before he's really up to speed Um, January will probably be when He's back to training with the the group on a full-time basis. There's been a few others who've had knocks throughout the year and hopefully they can get back to to full health, full strength from January onwards. But certainly as they start to compete on more fronts, they've got the Youth Cup, they've got the Under-17 Cup, they've got the League. They've got a PL2 challenge potentially ahead of them. They're still very much in the title mix there. 
And uh, and as we move into January with the transfer window, certain players may go on loan. That opens the door for, let's say, the likes of Michael Golding, who proved in that 75 minutes against Cheltenham that he was good enough to play against a good League One team. That doesn't necessarily mean he's ready to move up to the development squad full-time, but it might offer one or two opportunities that come about. Let's say Cassidy goes on loan, that opens up a role in the midfield. Let's say Ben Elliott goes on loan, that opens up another one. This is the time of year where you start to look at who might move up from the 18s and get more and more opportunities with Robinson's development squad. And to do that, you you start to welcome back players who've been on the, in, the treatment table for the first half of the season so they can continue their development in the right way. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's, it's, it's. We are getting to that shuffling of the deck time of of se- season as well. I'm sure our January update will have a lot of changes of you know of movement. Hopefully within Chelsea, maybe loans externally and things like that as well. And but you know, also this, those who we we'd love to go and see join the first team squad. Well, and that's what I'm saying. Like keep it internally, right? And and that's yeah. what we're potentially going to look at. We know there's some players in the dev squad that are far too good. The question is based on what other players in the club and the first team squad, are they going to stay or go? There's always that domino effect down. Um, I just have a feeling it's going to be a busy, busy January for the Academy as well. Just like the, uh, the rest of the club post world cup. Yeah. I think it can only be that. And as the, the new football board, technical directors, the sporting directors, the director of recruitment, whatever job titles they all have, as they start to get their feet under the table and, uh, and get stuck into the job that will directly and indirectly influence um, academy movement there'll be players who are I who they're, they're, they're marked as the way we want you on loan we want you here if the club starts to work with the multi-club approach and develops a partnership or ownership of another club in another country that's another avenue for players to, to explore to go on loan so it might not happen immediately but the wheels will start to turn in January and roll on into the summer and beyond Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, last ad break. Uh, we get back some Q&A for Phil. I'm going to see if I can throw him some curveballs. Thanks again to the sponsors. We'll be right back. Sorry, I don't know what curveball is in cricket. I apologize. I understand curveball. It's cool. <laughs> <laughs> I am so an annoying American. But anyways, Phil, uh, appreciate you giving me the patience as we run down a little bit of Q&A. Uh, we pulled these from the Discord server. So again, if you want to get involved in our Discord community, it is through our Patreon page uh, full of good people. Uh, I name dropped him earlier. Yes. Uh, he want to know about Charlie Webster specifically. He says, what's the, I don't know what that word is. It's crack. What's the story? Uh-huh. All right. <laughs> What's the story? He said he was the most hyped player of his age group, or maybe he is the most hyped player of his age group. Lewis Hall has sort of lapped him in appearances in general regard among the fan base with his contract situation coming up. Uh, what is his best role? And did you get any intel on how Potter may have or have not taken to him? I think the fact that he got a full match against Aston Villa in a team that could have been taken on many different looks suggests that Potter is a fan at the very least of the player that he is the most hyped player of his age group I, I don't necessarily buy into because hype doesn't necessarily reflect the the talent within for better or worse charlie's been a fantastic player for a long time england regular chelsea regular playing above age groups influential productive uh fine player in his own right and just lewis getting the opportunity in the first team isn't necessarily reflective of the fact of where they are as players it's more reflective of the fact that lewis can play in a bunch of different positions whereas charlie is a central midfielder of various trades. You can play him as a six, an eight, a ten, or whatever. But it's 
horses for courses and if Chelsea had all of their central midfielders out then you might have a more equitable conversation as to whether it's Lewis or Charlie that gets that opportunity. As it so happens, it was the left-sided issue that means that Lewis was the first up. Charlie's had a really good season, and you could see in the summer when Robinson came in and started to set up his team in a slightly different way to Andy Myers, and and like the framework is still the same sort of formation, whether it's a 4-2-3-1 or 3-4-3, but the, the roles and responsibilities differ slightly. And you could see very early on that Charlie was going to be the fulcrum in the midfield, which everything flows through. And that's when you can get the best out of him. A lot of time on the ball, get him able to see all the angles, all the areas of the pitch, use his range of passing, use his ability to drive through the lines and be creative in the final third. And that's what he's done this season. So if the opportunity arrives, I'm sure he would do himself justice in the same way that Lewis has but it's just the way the cards fall for you Lewis said in an interview over the the break that yes he prefers to play central midfield but if your number's called at left back you're not exactly going to say no not for me that's not where I play you go out there and do it to the best of your ability and, and he certainly has contract wise I mean who knows we've been here before with various Chelsea youngsters there were reports a couple of months ago that he was going to sign. I think they were slightly premature, but they were certainly widespread enough to think that there was positivity on that front in a way that maybe there wasn't so much positivity over Jude Soon-Sub-Bell, who's in the same boat. They're both out of contract next summer. Will they, won't they? There's been a lot of talk about Jude, for example, going to Manchester City. I think that's also slightly misplaced. All we can do is wait and see. Uh, it's, it's, it's a different era at the club it's a different ownership structure it's now a different football directorship and I don't think either player needs to be in a rush to make the decision yes as of next week they can talk to whoever they like in Europe but let's not pretend that players don't talk their agents and representatives don't talk and explore opportunities surreptitiously we know this happens in football if it, even if it's unspoken that doesn't necessarily mean it's happening with Charlie it doesn't mean it's happening with Jude I think we just have to sort of back away from the speculation uh, and understand that they're still teenagers trying to find the best decisions for them and their family and their situation and their future oftentimes that has in the past meant exploring avenues away from Chelsea some have succeeded some have failed some are still in that middle ground where we can't say if they succeeded or failed I think everyone's looking at a couple of years ago when Livermento, Pert Harris and Bate left and because Livermento is now playing in the Premier League while Bate and Pert Harris are on loan in League One people are like well they made a mistake in leaving but they're still telling their story they're still teenagers working their way to where they want to be not everybody is on the same development line or development curve some will peak, not not peak. Some will realise their potential sooner rather than later. But I, I, I never get into the speculation about where these players, whether they're going to sign contracts or not. Obviously, I'd love them to sign because I want everybody at the club to realise their potential here. Um, that's that's all I can say on it, really. I think sure. We we want we want them both to stay, but personally, if they choose to explore their options and go elsewhere, then I'll send them with the best of luck. So. The other one that you mentioned was Jude Sunset Bell. Again, I think the reason the conversation is is being brought up here is because they are at a contract at the end of the year. Um, and so any kind of temp check on that situation, how it's going from overall, um, does he kind of fit? Is he trying to maybe see if he could fit a different club system better? How's Jude? I, I think he'd be the first to admit there's been a frustrating season for him for a bunch of reasons. I mean, he's... 
competing for playing time with Mason Burstow and Malik Mothersill and coming out third out of three right now. That doesn't have to be the case for the rest of the season for a bunch of different reasons. Um, we, we saw a couple of years ago, he was scoring week in, week out for the under-18, scoring hat-tricks here, four goal games there, and anointing himself as the next one off the production line. And for, for those highs and for any lows, you, you take them in equal measure and still understand that here's a player who's had injuries, who's had illnesses, who's under uncertainty. There's been some, some issues, as I understand it, with him changing agents and trying to find the best representative for him and his future. And I, I, I'd really like to see the second half of the season get us back to the students up there that we saw a couple of years ago. And I know that it's capable. We see flashes of it in him this season. We've seen him contribute big goals important times in a couple of games in the cameos that he's been afforded uh, when you've got competition like Mother Still and Burstow it, it, iron sharpens iron it needs to bring the best out of all of them Mother Still wasn't in the team for the first half of the season for a bunch of reasons injury and illness notwithstanding but he when he's taken he's, he got his opportunities against Peterborough scored twice previously coming off the bench and scoring again and you need to pick up that momentum and, and carry it with you and I've seen enough from Jude over the years to know that we could just be one performance away from this whole conversation turning around and people being as excited about him now as they were a couple of years ago. It's a very hot take world, as you and I have discussed numerous times. And just because you see somebody not doing something doesn't mean that it's all on the downhill slope. It's there's you, you, you see what they want you to see. And you see everything that's above the surface. You don't see what's going on underneath the water. And life's hard enough being a teenager, let alone an aspiring professional footballer. So I think what the message I'd like to people to take away from this is to have a little bit more patience with how people treat these young footballers from game to game and a bit more perspective on the bigger picture of development that is certainly nowhere near complete at 18 or 19 it's not even complete at 22 23 yeah for sure and shout out to mr stick for dropping that one uh in discord wanted to get him his credit um and then last Nikhil asks what is the new profile of youth player we are after and how's that different from the past slash is it this was a question that I was interested by because I wasn't immediately sure that there was a difference in profile. And I don't think there is in terms of a technical profile. Chelsea will always look for a player who can neatly combine technical proficiency, a high physical output, and a positional and a mental versatility adaptation, being able to contribute in multiple ways. And that will always be the hallmark of a Chelsea Academy footballer. If we're talking about new profile of player, I look at it from a recruitment perspective at the higher levels. We're talking about who Chelsea can go and get this summer as a 16-year-old, for example. Last summer, they went out and they signed Tyler Dibbling from Southampton, a move that was eventually ill-fated and he went back. They were in for a couple of other players, Emilio Lawrence, who went to Manchester City, for example. Top, top 16-year-old talent Youth international representation. Travis Akamea, earlier in 2022, came from Watford. If you look back at some of the players who came in at Scholar Age in the previous years, they were shopping in a different market for various different reasons. They didn't have one come in at Scholar Age in 2021. The year before that, they took Mother Seal from Leighton Orient and they were in the Nordic region to get Edwin Anderson and Jimmy Tarryainen. They were there the year before that to get Lucas Bergstrom and a little bit later, Ryan Fiabema. 
And back in 2018, they brought in Pierre Equa, Tiana Ballo, Ian Martson, who Martson and Equa in particular were highly rated within their own country youth setups. Ballo was yet to represent Austria properly at that age group, but was certainly a burgeoning talent in, in German football who'd impressed in previous tournaments. But they weren't shopping at the very top, top window of English youth football. They weren't going out and getting England into England under-16 internationals and bringing them in, in the way that they did with Dibbling, for example. And with the Brexit transfer regulations, stopping you going out and getting an Equa or a Martson or any of the players that bought in from the Nordic region, it means that you now have to compete with everybody in the UK to to get the best talent and, and that generally drives the age down and where you can bring them in you're certainly you've got 13 14 15 year old Manchester City just signed a 15 year old from Sheffield United who a bunch of clubs have been after for quite a while and they paid big money to go and get him um, but in, in terms of who Chelsea might bring in as a, pro, a profile of youth player it's it's going and getting the best to accentuate the, the, the real talent that you have coming through homegrown. They had 16 first-year scholars last year, excluding Dibblin, and Akomeo was the only one that they went out and signed outright in his under-16 season. Everyone else was brought through uh, significantly younger age groups. I think that's the, that's the biggest change that we can see in the profile of player. Chelsea Akomeo fits the bill of a Chelsea footballer in his technical proficiency. And he's, uh, he's, he's, he looks like Levi, Levi Colwell as a, as a young centre-half. That's what I think we'll see moving forward. And you might tweak around the edges of what you want to see from a technical skill set. But Chelsea are always looking for super high levels in those anyway. But now that you've got new ownership who have put big investment into the academy, you've got maybe a, not an unlimited budget for Jim Fraser and, and colleagues but a certainly higher budget than they may have worked with in recent years you've got Joe Shields coming in who may not work with the academy day to day but has one of the biggest youth contact books in in the country and relationships built up with players that Chelsea may be competing with others for but now Shields isn't at Southampton he isn't at Manchester City and he's not competing with Jim Fraser for that same talent we spoke about this before it's like the mega powers coming together um I've gone off on a, a bit of a tangent there. The profile of individual players might not change, but the profile of signings in terms of their stature and how far they've reached already is what you might look out for. Yeah, even in Amar Hutchinson, Cesare, Cassidy. Um, and Chuck Wemeka. Yeah, like big, big, big money to go and get these boys, but it's just like you're, you're a kid in a toy store. Go, yeah. and, go and pick out what you want to get and we'll make it happen. Yeah. Chuck is on reportedly the best contract for a teenager in English football history which might be touching six figures that's that's unheard of but Chelsea made it happen and there's nothing to suggest that they won't continue to do that we, Andre Santos might be signing from Vasco da Gama as, as stories develop as we're recording and whether that fee reaches the reported 40 million euros or not we won't know but they're, they're making their mind up they were in the the Endrick stakes and yeah was always going to go to madrid but yeah. inserting yourself into the conversation and saying yeah we're a player here is is a statement of intent if nothing else yeah no it's been great obviously i think you know just when you were starting to get bored of the academy boom look what happened <laughs> certainly always interesting I'll, i personally yeah. speaking i'm never bored of the academy as i'm sure everybody well knows but if anybody was sort of down on things there's, there's plenty of interesting stuff going on right now 
Yeah, uh, definitely me teasing. Uh, Phil is always big up on the Academy. Definitely got some juice to it, some new electricity. But hey, that's going to wrap us up, Phil. Thank you, as always, dropping the knowledge bomb, sharing that wealth that you have. Uh, thank you so much. Um, hopefully, we can avoid more frozen pitches and we can get the football back on track sooner than later. Uh, go follow Phil at Chelsea Youth, but you already knew that. Anyways, we're out. Cobb Crew done. We'll be back in January. Until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.